Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, um, since Phil wrecked the last program, <laughs> we need Because I asked the question, the very, very important question, um, why did Christ have to be born of a virgin. So the way I'm phrasing the question should give us a clue, right? Because this isn't just, oh, you know, God wants to do this neat miracle. And so in order to do this neat miracle, he's going to announce this virgin birth, and then Jesus is going to be born without a, without a, an earthly father. You know, it's not just, it, it, is it just some trick that that God is doing? Yeah, no. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if I want you to answer. Are you actually going to answer my question this time? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll get us I'll get us started on it. But first of all, I am going to say, yeah, this, this is where this is where you ask what time it is. We're going to tell you how the clock works. We're going to tell you how the clock works. Honestly, we should impose the little mute buttons on the mics here. The first the first thing to say about the virgin birth is that it is a historical fact, and that. It was not invented by the gospel writers for theological purpose. Uh, it's a historical fact. And then early believers and the gospel writers discerned the, the, the spiritual truth behind it. Why? Um, but the fact comes first. Uh, it, because the, the criticism of the virgin birth uh, from uh, secular thinking and even from some liberal Christian thinking, the criticism of the virgin birth is that, well, it's invented just to make Jesus special. And, well, no, it's not. Uh, the gospel writers are, are reporting it because it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it goes to the nature, it goes to human nature, and it goes to the nature of sin, and, the, and that our Savior needed to be without sin in order to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. And... It goes to our nature and, and understanding the, the nature of what it means to be a sinner, that I'm a sinner not just because I commit sins, but because I am a sinner by nature. And I inherited that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all inherited it from our first parents, from, from Adam and Eve. And it's been in, in, in inherited and passed down into the nature of every human being, every human being since then, with one exception. And that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I think the principle, the biblical principle is that sinners begat sinners. Yes. That sinners give birth to sinners. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if Jesus was born just like every other person that ever lived was born, then sinners would give birth to a sinner. Yes. And at that point. He would be born with a sin nature. He would be born with a sin nature. And it's also true that people give birth to humans. Well, we're told that Jesus had to be mm-hmm. truly God yep. and tr- truly, truly man. man. Yep. Well, if he had two parents that were 
both human beings, then they would give birth to somebody that was truly human, but he wouldn't be truly divine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those two areas, I mean... This is why Jesus is called the second Adam. That's correct. And that, that has huge theological significance because the first Adam was the father of the, the natural race and the second Adam is the father of the, of the spiritual race. But we have, to, we have to affirm both. I'm glad you said that. If we deny either uh, nature of Christ, mm-hmm. we lose salvation entirely. Mm-hmm. There, there have been many what are called Christological heresies in church history where it would deny one of the natures, like Arian den- Arius denied the, the divinity of Christ. There were the Gnostics who would deny the humanity of Christ. And either one of those heresies, you end up with a Savior who can't save anybody. Right. May I, may I just, I'm going to point out that the catechism dealt with this question a long time ago. This is uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism. Why must he be truly human and truly righteous? Answer, God's justice demands that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. Why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger and his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. He had to be truly uh, human and he had to be truly righteous. And, and this matter of him being a, you know, born of a virgin, this was something that was prophesied, too. This was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, you know, that the, you know, this is the sign that God was going to give to Ahaz, that you, know, you didn't ask for a sign. Here, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. A virgin is going to conceive. And so this is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as well. Yeah. This is how it was going to take place. Yeah. Right. And it's not just that they wrote about it at, after the Reformation. And I think this is important, and, and I know there are better arguments than this, but the virgin birth was spoken of in the Gospels, and the church already by the second century had fully accepted and taught the virgin birth. Right. And so I, I, I think we've got to be careful when two millennia of church history has embraced and held a doctrine, and then all of a sudden we're going to come along and say, oh, and by the way, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That, that is exactly what C.S. Lewis would call um, chronological snobbery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think men in the, in the last century, um, Machen would be one of them that would say, this, that's just foolishness. Yeah. You know, this is actually the oldest prophecy in Scripture is the virgin mm-hmm. birth. Yeah, mm-hmm. going to back to Genesis three fifteen. I mean, mm-hmm. the gospel is the oldest prophecy, but in Genesis three fifteen, that seed of the gospel, uh, God God mentioned the seed of the woman, which is everywhere else in Scripture. It always talks about begotten by a man, begotten by a man. But this one specific place, it talks about being begotten by a woman, and so th- this is no this is no small thing. Oldest prophecy in Scripture. Okay, so. I I don't want to go where you're going. Where where would you like to go next, Russ? <laughs> well, I, I think we finished that section of of the passage um, in Luke chapter one when the you, angel Phil. comes. Uh, the angel will say, in answer to that question, "How can this be? Since I'm a virgin." And I, I think right. that's important once again to to just emphasize that this was shocking to Mary. So this isn't just something shocking to people in the 21st century yeah. about the virgin birth. This was shocking in. Um, the time of Mary as well. And, and she accepts 
you know, God's omnipotence in this. Yep. You know, when uh, when the answer is given that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her, uh, this is this is uh, you know this is the language of the Old Testament. You know, when the the Spirit was at present at creation, uh, He overshadowed the waters of the earth. When you know the Spirit is in Exodus, when He overshadowed the tabernacle in a cloud of glory, and this is a you know she's going to accept the answer. She want you know she doesn't really get a perfect answer how because we can't this is a, this is a, this is something the secret things belong to god uh, what has been revealed belongs to us that she was uh, going to give birth to a son the son of the most high el elion you know the son of god this is an emphasis on his deity as well as his humanity yeah. mm -hmm. and maybe just one more thing about this real quick um the virgin birth is not something to be embarrassed about um, this is not a doctrine that we should hide from the world or, or from our sophisticated friends. It's actually a doctrine to live and die by. God became flesh for us. I mean, Emmanuel, the name of Christ means God with us. For hundreds of years, the people of God had to travel to go to the tabernacle to meet with God. Uh, they would need a priest to mediate for them. But when Jesus Christ came into the world, he became the place where God meets with his people. So his birth is, his virgin birth is the most precious of all gifts. Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk a little bit about, and, and the virgin birth and the coming of Jesus is the main thing going on here, but I also want to talk a little bit about Mary. And I think we Protestants sometimes get a little bit nervous about elevating Mary too much. And, uh, you know, ever since the Reformation, we, you know, we, and we do want to get away, uh, we do want to get away from the exaltation of Mary, the, the Mariology of the Roman Catholic Church, because all of that, uh, you know, praying to Mary, the exaltation of Mary is, is unbiblical. But there's a reason that God chose this particular young woman, and I think it's revealed in her answer to the angel. Uh, when the angel says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And now here's this 14, 15-year-old girl. She's, she's just learned that she's going to have a baby without benefit of marriage, not in her time, not of her choosing. The neighbors are going to talk. It could even be dangerous for her. It'll, it's going to bring shame on her, shame on her family. And when the angel tells her this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I believe that's one of the most profound trust and faith in the whole Bible coming out of the mouth of this 14-year-old girl. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Um, it, it reminds me of the psalm, and you guys are going to have to remind you guys are going to have to help me. Which psalm is it that says, "As the as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of his master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God." And as the as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of it was her in mistress. the Psalms of Ascent, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it's in the Psalms of Ascent. Thank you. That's, you've, That's you've close narrowed, enough. You've narrowed it down. One of those fifteen. Well. And the, the indication of that psalm is, the, is that we, we are the Lord's servants and, and we look to his hand with complete trust. And that's Mary. She is completely submitted. Her life is going to be so, has just been interrupted, massively interrupted. 
Her life is taking a turn that she did not anticipate, that she did not choose. All of a sudden, she thought she was going down one road, and now she's going down this other road, and it's pretty scary. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. And one of the differences between her response and Zechariah's response is Zechariah... It's tinged with doubt. Zechariah is doubting, whereas she is uh, just, she's not doubting. She's she's just asking for more information. Right, yeah. When she responds, you know, how is this going to take place? That's right, yep. You know, when she says, um, um, let it be according to your word, uh, this is, as you point out, an understanding of trust and obedience. This is something that one person has said, uh, Mary is the first Christian. Yes. Yeah, you know, she's you know, this is what this is the response of, of Christians uh all the time. A lot of people come into the um into the church and they think that Christianity is some sort of negotiation that you've made with God. You know, <laughs> I'll do this and then you'll do that and yes. um but no, it's it's a surrender of my life to his. Yes. That's that's what Christianity is. I'm it's living in obedience to him. Then the th- and this is God-centered thinking and living that Mary is manifesting. It's a renunciation uh, that she have evidences here. This is the believer's heart responding to the gospel, the good news. Mm-hmm. I mean, the key phrase is there, according to your word. God yeah. has said it, and that was enough for Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, if right. you've said this to be true, I can believe it. That's right. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We have been hitting Advent themes the last few days. If you'd like to catch any of the ones that you've missed, just subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life, and we will see you next time. 